Welcome to the Cold Brew Podcast. It is May 13th. I'm David Gasper, joined by my co-host, Matt Carroll, and we are the editors at ReviewingTheBrew.com. The Brewers are coming off a series loss against the Cardinals at home, but there's been some positive news also this week uh, for us to talk about. And joining us for our discussion on the Cold Brew Podcast is John Papadopoulos, host of the Sports Lead on ESPN Lacrosse. John, thanks so much, man, for, for coming on the pod this week. Hey, great guys. Great to be on. Thanks for having me. So the, the theme for, for this week's episode is, is going to be the good news and the bad news, because there's a lot of good news that, that came out um, here on Thursday and this week, and there's also some bad news. So John, we're, we're going to give, I'm going to give you the, the choice here. What do you want to start with? Do you want to start with the good news or do we, or do you want to start with the bad news? Oh boy. Well, the good news is really good. And the bad news is pretty bad. I'll go good news. Let's, let's start off with something positive to begin. All right. Let's start with the good news. Corbin Burns is back. Uh, he returns from the COVID IL, uh, and then he throws five innings of uh, one run ball, scattering a few hits. Um, and he set a major league record because he is Corbin Burns and he does amazing things. So he came into uh, Thursday, came into a start, with 49 strikeouts and zero walks on the season. The MLB record going back to 1893, because that's how long the records go, probably goes back even further than that, uh, was 51 strikeouts before allowing a first walk of the season set by Kenley Jansen a few years ago. And then Corbin Burns uh, blew it away there early in the game, reaching 52 strikeouts to set the new record, and then reached 58 before giving up his first walk. Corbin Burns... Missed a couple of starts, but he is he look, he's back and he looked as as dominant as ever, John. Yeah, um, you know it's interesting because you watch this guy pitch and the way he repeats his motion is pretty amazing. His delivery, um, guys can't even barrel up against him, you know. And I was looking through the numbers. I mean, today's start was maybe his second worst of the season, and he was still really great. <laughs> um, I, I think you know, really, you look at these two guys, both Burns and Woodruff, and I think you know, Freddie's kind of moving into this category as well. Um, it, it's arguably the best rotation in baseball right now. I, I think the Dodgers might be talking about this on the show today. If you combine the bullpen and the rotation. Is, is there a better pitching staff in baseball right now? And Burns is obviously leading the way. I don't know who that team would be. Uh, I went through four or five of them. I, I think there's a pretty good case. It's the best staff top to bottom in baseball right now. So, yeah, it was impressive to watch Burns. And, you know, it's apparently he was asymptomatic, so it wasn't like he was real sick. But he, even to miss the time he did and jump right back out there and pitch the way he did was was very impressive, I thought. Yeah, I I feel like we've kind of run out of amazing things to say about Burns on this podcast. <laughs> David, you have not, and I will not no. ever. Of course not. No, you won't. But uh, I keep trying to pick things to, you know, be newly infatuated about with this guy. And it's just, it, everything's amazing. It, like you said, John, like the fact that he was able to come back from a two week layoff and pitch the way he did is just a, another achievement and a, a a number of amazing achievements for this year, 58 to one. Now, unfortunately, uh, strikeout to walk ratio, which uh, I, I can't imagine he keeps that up, but if he does, that's just unreal. Um, which makes it all the more sad how little run support he got today as well. Hey, we're as on the good the news. Of the season. We're on the good I know, news section, I know Matt. I'm jumping ahead. I'm jumping ahead, but I just can't, I, I can't get over it from today, but, um, just amazing what that guy did and the fact that we got to see some history today was a lot of extra fun and uh, matt i'm with you it was hard not to go to the bad news because he's pitching so well and they're not scoring runs i mean i, I was tempted myself a couple times to veer off uh but he, he really is amazing and sometimes i think we get caught up in numbers and say wow this is incredible uh these numbers are off the charts but it's not just the numbers it's the way he's throwing the ball um you know the analytics, I'm sure, will back this up for the most part. But when, you, when you're throwing, you know, 97 mile an hour cutters and you're moving the ball in the upper 90s, and like I said earlier on, he's repeating his delivery perfectly. Every single time he lets the ball go, it looks exactly the same. Hitters have to distinguish between the cutter, the fastball, the changeup, the breaking ball, and and that's why guys can't even barrel helm him up, you know. Um, and, and the fact that he can throw all these pitches for strikes uh, and hit corners, he, he he's almost never right down the center. Um, he, obviously, he doesn't struggle you know, getting behind on hitters either. So he's in a zone right now that outside of Jacob DeGrom, 
Um, you know, I think about Pedro Martinez 20 years ago at his very best. It's similar. I think about Randy Johnson at his best. You know, obviously Corbin's only done this for, you know, a month or month and a half and maybe a little bit last year. But he's the ball at a level that you just don't see major league pitchers do or, or any pitcher that's ever lived. I mean, it, I, there might be 10, 12, 15 guys that I can think of where it's it's looked like this. And that, that to me is the most impressive part. Yeah, and as we said, no one has done this since 1893. Not not even the Randy Johnsons, the Pedro Martinez's, and those guys of the world. They haven't had 58 strikeouts before giving up a walk. They they haven't put stuff up like that. And yeah, just what he's what he's been doing, how he's been able to do it with his stuff. Uh, that that's just been so electric. Uh, it has just been has just been absolutely insane. To, to watch oh, it and, and especially to see where he came from from 2019 and as you mentioned before John the mm-hmm. he's not leaving anything down the middle that's pretty much all he did in 2019 it was awful and now now he's not even he's never in the middle can I can I throw something out and and you guys might not know the answer to this I didn't bring it with me and I was on my show today I was trying to think of it I know in the 1890s they moved the mound from like 50 feet to the current 60 feet six inches. Is it possible that the guy who had the record before him did it when, when it was 50 feet from the mound to home plate? I'm, I'm not sure if, if you guys know that or not, or it's got to be out hmm. there somewhere. But it was around that time when they changed the mound, I know, in the 1890s. It was 50 feet before that. So it, yeah. it's possible this has never been done before with the current I, I, mound. I, I think that's why the, the records only go to 1893, because I, I think okay. that's when they moved it. So I, everything since then, it's it's a different, that different record book. Sense. Yeah, so, so yeah, someone might have, I don't know, but yeah, someone there in the 1880s doing that feat is, you know, a little bit, you know, maybe not as impressive from from 50 something feet on on the mound, but but yeah. It's uh it, it's been insane uh what he's been able to do and yeah, I I was so glad that I was able to to be at the game and like witness and like be a part of like the standing ovation cuz he got the standing ovation when he broke the record. You know, he got into a couple of three ball counts. The fans recognized what was going on and were, you know, cheer, cheering him on and clapping and getting some energy up in there. And it worked out there the first couple of innings. And, you know, he ended up getting the record and huge ovation. Love to see it. Uh, and then in um, and then a few innings later, when he gave up the walk in, in the fifth inning to Tommy Edmond, um, he received a standing ovation again because everyone knew, OK, the streak had been over. And I'm just thinking to myself, this is so weird how we're giving a man a standing ovation because he walked an opposing hitter. <laughs> like it was, I know that wasn't like the full reason, but it was kind of ironic. Yeah, pretty, pretty nuts, isn't it? When you, when you think about that, the, he walks a guy and, and he gets an ovation, but rightfully so. I mean, it yeah. was, um, if they hadn't given it to him, there would have been something wrong. It, it's incredible. And you, you wonder what he'll do over the next stretch. I, you know, I'm sure we're not going to get 58 and one over the you know the next month or so but i'll tell you what I, I would imagine he'll put up numbers similar i mean it might be 30 to 2 or something but i don't think all of a sudden he's just going to be, become normal now i the numbers that we've never seen before in terms of walks to strike out and you know we'd have to go back i guess i mentioned pedro martinez late 90s early 2000s had some years in there where it would be interesting to look at um you know kurt Schilling maybe has a couple in there but um it, it's pretty amazing and if he stays healthy I don't see any reason why he can't continue, maybe not at this pace, but but something relatively close. And, you know, the fans kind of earned that moment today, considering the last two days you had Freddie Peralta, who put together a heck of a start um, two nights ago, uh, didn't quite end up finishing it out, pull, uh, got pulled after seven. Um, Woodruff uh, was on his way to a no-hitter that none of us wanted to mention and spoil. Um, and then that one, unfortunately, goes by the wayside. So today the fans finally get to see some actual history. So, um, you know, that I, I feel like a little bit of that was pent up when it came to some of those standing ovations, they were, they were ready to start cheering. Yeah. I mean, I think there just needs, I mean, also like when I was there, it was kind of weird, but like they're like during like some of those earlier moments, there was like more energy, but like later in the game, like when the Brewers were on offense, like there was not generally that much for energy, which was, kind of weird but we can put that more in the in the bad news segment but as you were mentioning there matt the the rotation with with uh peralta and woodruff those guys are both those guys are not slouches at all like they would be the headlines if it wasn't for corbin burns 
of being so dominant. And, you know, the Brewers told us uh, heading into the year that they were building this team around pitching and great defense. And they did not lie to us. And, and the pitching has been uh, as advertised and guys like Peralta and Adrian Hauser uh, have really stepped up into big, prominent roles in this rotation. Yeah, you know, you, you can make an argument right now. All, all three of them are on pace to be all-stars. You know, I mean, Woodruff and Burns are, are going to be in the Cy Young race, I think, most of, most of the season as we discussed that. But, I mean, Freddie's not that far behind. Uh, the, the fact that Freddie went seven innings in less than 100 pitches I thought was a great sign last night. You know, his issue has been, you know, going five, five innings and it takes 90-plus pitches to do that. I, I thought as well as Freddie pitched, you know, with, with seven scoreless and one hit, the fact that his efficiency is getting better now, I, I think it was 97 pitchers. He won seven innings. I mean, that's that's not great, but it's pretty good. And I thought that was a great sign, too. If he can continue to be efficient, not walk guys, not go deep in counts, I see no reason why Freddie's numbers can't be nearly as good as the other two from this point on. Yeah, that actually um, I wanted to throw out. I uh, pulled some stats on Freddie because um, it was actually the game that uh, Dave and I were at against the Cubs that kind of started getting me thinking of this. And then realizing afterwards that Freddie seems to throw um, a decent amount of balls in the first inning, um, but does not seem to quite do that as much going into deeper innings. And so I pulled some numbers today and sure enough, um, he has a 52% uh, strike percentage in the first inning and then only rises as innings go farther from 59 in the second inning, 63 in the fourth, uh, third, 67 in the fourth. And so Freddie, for a guy who, you know, was good out of the bullpen last year, but, you know, did so while still trying to find his control a little bit. He still walked guys last year. The fact that he uh, is finding a way to get stronger as outings go on, I feel like is extremely impressive for him. And like you said, it, it's, you know, it really offers optimism for his future to continue as a starter. And so you throw that along with the one-two punch, of Woodruff and Burns and good luck other teams. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, at, at this stage, um, and who knows if Freddie will keep this up. I don't want to get too excited about one start, but but I, I'll tell you what, if you would have told me a month ago, he's going to give you seven innings and less than a hundred pitches and walk one guy. I'd say that might not happen all year. You know, I was envisioning a lot of these five and a third, uh, 95 pitches, grinding deep counts, a lot of three ball counts. I just thought that's what Freddie would be there. Keep you in games because he strikes guys out and, and, you know, not a lot of people can barrel up on him. But I, I almost feel, you know, as optimistic about him as the other two. I don't think he's got that kind of control and he'll be as good as the other two. But it, it's the fact that he's made these kinds of, you know, that he's progressed like this here in the last few starts. And then tack on the fact that Adrian Hauser seems locked in as well with that power sinker. Um, I think these guys are feeding off each other a little bit, and this rotation uh, is – listen, it looks better now than it did a month ago. So, it, you know, if we're having the positive section right now, I, I'll tell you what, I, I think you can make it an argument right now that the, the Brewers' rotation right now, based on the Dodgers' injury situation, it's not far behind. You know, the Dodgers were so far ahead of everybody else in terms of big names and the way they were throwing. Uh, we'll see if they can maintain it. But I let's put it this way. The Brewers are in their stratosphere. There's no doubt about it. I think it's a conversation. And I'll take the Brewers' bullpen, you know, easily over over the Dodgers. So I'll, I'll say it again. Like, you know, one didn't and, and top guys in the bullpen. I don't know if anybody in baseball has got what the Brewers have right now. Yeah, absolutely. And, and as you guys were kind of mentioning there on Peralta, if you remember back like last year and, and the year before, Peralta's issues as a starter generally came in the first inning. He generally yeah. got you know, batted around a whole bunch in the first inning. And, and this year, he's not throwing as many strikes in the first inning, which is, you know, kind of interesting. I wonder if that's like a, a counterbalance to it. It's like, oh, instead of, you know, getting batted around, I'm just going to be like way on the edges of the strike zone. And, you know, if I miss, I miss. But uh, he'll make it through just fine. And, and yeah, the command was, was really kind of the, the command is the final step for Freddie. It's getting that locked in. And, and that can take a while because, I mean, you look at, look at Jimmy Nelson. Okay. I, I loved Jimmy Nelson. I always thought he had a stuff. It took him three years to get the command locked in. Like he, he always had all the pitches. He had all the stuff, 
but it was a command. It was the walks that eluded him for three or four years. Then he finally got locked in in 2017, mm-hmm. and then, you know, everything else happened there. But with Peralta, he just now got the repertoire. Like, he just now got the three, four-pitch mix by adding the slider and adding the changeup this year. So now, like, you know, in the past – getting that mix like it's taken some Bruce pitchers three or four years to get that command if Freddie can get that also this year oh man that, that's a mm-hmm. that's a big step not just for Freddie but for the Brewers as, as a whole for their pitching development as a whole being able to to shave down that timeline from three or four years to get a guy's con, get a guy's control and command locked in to just you know, one year to, to get it improving from start to start instead of year to year. Well, you know, you guys, you remember Craig Council said at this early this year, he, he was very blatant about this. He said, Freddie's 24 years old. You know, yeah. it feels like he feels like he's older because he's been around forever. He came up at a very young age, but he's 24 years old. Corbin Burns couldn't function at 24. <laughs> was, was, was fighting to stay in the big leagues at 24. Sandy Koufax at 24 couldn't throw strikes. Randy Johnson couldn't throw strikes. And I, I could go on and on. You know, there's a lot of Hall of Fame pitchers. Nolan Ryan was battling to throw strikes at that age and was having a hard time staying in games. It's it's one of those things where it takes a long time for some guys. You know, the pitchers, they, they really don't peak out until 25, 26, 27, and then that's where the run usually starts. And the fact that he's 24 and he's just, as Dave said, just you know, just figured out uh, the secondary stuff. This guy was just throwing fastballs a couple years ago. Like, that was it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think Freddy. there's definitely some upside here. Um, uh, again, look at Corbin Burns two years ago. I think Freddie is is even ahead of that at this point. And we haven't even touched to, or we very briefly mentioned Adrian Hauser. I think it's worth giving him some props here as well. Um, he's been putting in a heck of a lot of good work as a fourth starter. Like, to have those numbers out of your fourth guy it goes exactly to what you're saying, John, about how the Brewers may have one of the best, if not the best, rotation in baseball right now. Um, Hauser sitting in the mid threes for ERA, um, but that ground ball percentage at 61 whopping percent, just amazing as ever. Um, <laughs> guys can't get a hold of him either. And so you go through that three. I know Freddie is technically the fifth starter, but he starts that run of those three dangerous pitchers with him, Woodruff and Burns. And then you think you're out of the water and you get to face this guy who you just, you can't barrel up either. Like that's, that is just hell for opposing batters. Well, you know, let me, if I could jump in really quickly, great point on Adrian Hauser with the ground balls. The best thing about this rotation is, you know, we're not talking about the fourth and fifth guys, but both of them I mean, Brett Anderson, same thing. Neither guy has overwhelming stuff like the first two, especially Brett Anderson. I mean, his stuff is average, but they can both get out of trouble. They're both ground ball pitchers. You you, mm-hmm. you have the number, Matt, I think, you know, in the low 60s right now in terms of percentile for ground balls. And I don't have Brett Anderson's in front of me now, but you know, and, you know, watching him pitch this year, you know, Brett Anderson's a ground ball pitcher. So mm-hmm. even, even the guys in the back end sort of have an out, you know, to get out of trouble when they get into trouble. Yeah, yeah 50, 54.5% for Brett Anderson, so he yeah. is not far behind. Which is low for him this year. You know, that, that yeah. number could get better. Yeah. Yeah, and especially with that uh, improved infield defense behind him with Colton Wong there at mm-hmm. second and, and Luis Urias at short. Uh, Wong had another uh, spectacular play there today uh, at second base with the jump. It, it was like the, the classic Jeter throw, although instead mm-hmm. of from in the hole at short, it was it was up the middle. But, I mean, that was just – that was smooth. And, man, I love seeing that guy play second base. It is, it is spectacular. And um, so there, there's good news all around there with, with the rotation. And as you guys kind of mentioned, Brett Anderson. Brett Anderson is now among a large group of brewers that are on rehab assignment. So the brewers had their, their health issues uh, earlier on. But now a lot of these guys are on their way. Brett Anderson on a rehab assignment. Bobby Wall down in AA on a rehab assignment. Tim Lopes, AAA rehab assignment. Jace Peterson is on a rehab assignment. Derek Fisher is on a rehab assignment. And Christian Yelich has just been put on a rehab assignment down to AAA Nashville. So uh, for everyone who lives in Nashville, this is great because now you can go to the game and you can see Christian Yelich 
Um, so I'm kind of thinking of maybe driving down to Nashville this weekend, <laughs> but, uh, so, so all these guys on the mend on rehab assignments, um, getting them back and, and just kind of getting healthy to hopefully give us a better picture of what this team actually is, because I feel like so far this season, we don't really know what this team actually is and what they actually can be because they haven't been healthy enough. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think the big question right now is can can they improve this lineup? You know, I mean, we've talked about the pitching. We raved about it. And I don't think we're exaggerating on the pitching. I really don't. I don't think this is a Brewers podcast or pumping these guys up. I think it's all, all real. I'm referring to the negative stuff now. I'm not sure where we are on that. But I, I do think that's a problem. I, I, I think this lineup, um, you know, it's exciting to see some guys come up, guys like Billy McKinney, um, do some things, but the reality is you don't want Billy McKinney in your starting lineup every night. You don't. Um, you don't. You don't want Tyrone Taylor in your lineup every night. You know, and we can we can go on and on. There are three or four guys that you don't necessarily want to see in there. And I think one stat that's really alarming to me right now is that Corbin Burns has started six games and they've now lost four of them. I mean, yeah. let that sink in. Think about that for a second. Um, the fact that that guy's pitch as well as he had the one game against the Marlins where he gave up five runs, but he's been basically unhittable throughout the other five starts. And they're two and four when he started games. And it's, it's not the bullpen that's blowing it. It's the fact that he's leaving games, you know, one, nothing, one, one, two to one. And, and they're losing those games. So they got to figure something out with this lineup. Uh, Yellich coming back will help. You hope Keston here can figure this out at some point, be a longer rotation, maybe for another day, but, uh, I don't think this lineup is enough. Uh, it's, they're probably good enough to make the postseason with this pitching, but I don't know how far they get. I, I think they probably have to go out and and get a bat somewhere at some point. Yeah, it, I mean, we talked until our faces were blue during the offseason about how for the Brewers to be successful this year, they needed to improve that offense, and to improve that offense, they needed to have some of these underachieving batters from 2020 do better this season. Um, and you saw some of them start to do that. Yelich um, looked improved. He doesn't have a home run yet, um, but his numbers were up. Um, he started off striking out quite a bit, um, but that rate was tailing down before he got hurt. Um, Narvaez started off on fire. Avi's been kind of a roller coaster a little bit. Kira, unfortunately, has actually regressed since last season. Um, but we won't really know the full potential of this offense again until we have those regulars in the lineup, we're, we're not having to patch holes um, like you alluded to with your Billy McKinney's or your Tyrone Taylor's or whomever. So Yelich um, going, uh, the fact that they feel comfortable enough to send him on a rehab assignment is obviously huge. Um, it means that um, hopefully that that back is feeling better. Um, Narvaez coming back today was a huge sign. Um, I know he uh, went hitless today, I believe. Um, mm -hmm. but as long as he kind of falls back into that groove from before, that'll be a, a huge, huge boost. Um, that's what we need to kind of get this, uh, offense jump-started again. I do want to ask a question of you guys though. Um, with that roster that we have down in Nashville right now, with all the guys rehabbing and a guy like Kesson Hira down there, um, there's some pro talents that sounds fans are going to be getting to see. Do you think that sounds lineup? Uh, at its highest major league baseball ready talent level could beat the pirates in a three game series. <laughs> That's a good question. Probably if Yelich is part of it and you're telling me Yelich is, is basically Yelich again. And if Hira is, you know, you know triple A pitching or, or pirates pitching, maybe, I don't know. Um, <laughs> that's a good question, actually. That really is. Um, you know, at least in a, in a short term or in short burst, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I might take it. Right, like you got like a Jace Peterson and a Hernan yeah. Perez and a Daniel Robertson and all kinds of guys down there who could do some damage. I, I feel like the Brewers have put out lesser lineups in the majors at times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, certainly lesser producing lineups. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. But no, I mean, are, are they also getting the the AAA pitching staff, or do they also have the Brewers pitching staff along with for that series against the Pirates? That's a that's a good question, but the Pirates pitching staff is basically AAA anyway, so that's a wash. Well, right, but I mean, for you know how many runs you're scoring versus how many you're you're giving up, because if it's the Brewers pitching staff, then you know, yeah, the, those Pirates can be locked down, and you only need a couple of runs. But 
as we've as we've seen before, needing a couple of runs isn't always a guarantee. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways, uh, so yeah, Omar Narvaez is back. Uh, Corbin Burns is back. Josh Lindblom uh, came back as well. Um, and the fans are continuing to come back. 50% capacity starting on Saturday here. So Miller Park's going to be open up to about 20,000 or so in attendance. And then they've also announced 100% capacity at American Family Field starting June 25th. The fans are going to be fully back, and I could not be more excited, John. It's pretty exciting. It really is. And I'll be honest with you, I did not expect this this quickly. I think this is really an effect of you have some teams that have done it. The Rangers started the season with it. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, the Braves decide, okay, we're going to go in. And, and now it's kind of got this snowball effect of all of a sudden teams are saying, well, if they're going to do it. Um, you know, we want to make some money too. And, and our number, our COVID numbers are down. But I didn't expect this. You know, it was only uh, four or five days ago when we learned that that they were going to bump it up to 50. And I guess my thought was, okay, that probably later. And then all of a sudden say the heck with it. We're just going to open it up. Uh, I, I think it's a great sign and, and not just a great baseball sign. The fact that we're moving in that direction as a society right now. And, um, you know, as the warm weather sets in, we'll be able to open up that roof a lot more to have some full houses. I think is going to be great. I think it'll, as a baseball fan, you know, I don't know about you guys, when you're watching on television, even there's something different about watching a game where there's a full house or close to it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, just just being there for for the ten thousand people that were there at the game the past couple of nights. I mean, that's just like when something big actually happens. Like it it just feels so loud in there, and, and like it feels like you got a full full house almost. And just like, God, I haven't experienced like an actual like full house there forty thousand some in in so long. It's like I don't even know what this feels like. <laughs> yeah, same. I mean, even the last game I was at back you know pre-pandemic um was like a thursday day game and you know it was fun because that was uh the san diego padres series it was the first time we got to see machado back so oh, everyone yeah. was feeling the stadium to boom machado the game i went to unfortunately they sat him um but mm. it was you know it, it was one of those good old thursday day games where you know maybe half the stadium fills so i i don't know that i've been to a full packed house at uh what was at the time Miller Park since maybe 2018, I would say. So it's been it's been a while for me, um, and I'm very excited excited to tailgate and and like normally tailgate with you know you know mixing it up with other people in the parking lot and you know I think that's part of we've talked about uh, one of the big things we miss as baseball fans going to games is kind of the camaraderie with complete strangers um, whether you're celebrating a big hit by the brewers or you're just, you know, shooting it out in the parking lot, anything like that. Like it's, that, those are the types of things we miss in these social settings. Right. So, Oh, just the fact that that's back. It, it also just breeds a sense of like, everything's coming back to normal. Like that, that is a sign that other things are getting better. So it just, we're getting there. And I, I also could not be more excited. Uh, it is going to be a very fun time when we finally get that uh, that first game 100% capacity crowd. I, I think people are just going to be so excited to get out there. I think you're going to have a lot of sellouts for for the rest of the season, um, and it's just going to be it's going to be so much fun. So uh, that will conclude our good news uh, portion of this week's podcast, and let's move on. To the bad news. Nobody can hit. This is all terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Every single time the Brewers get someone in scoring position, they get stranded like they're Tom Hanks and on a desert island trying to ship FedEx. Like (laughs) they're just castaways out there. No hope of getting home, trying to find a volleyball to, to be friends with. And they just... Oh man, it has just been so awful with runners in scoring position. It, it's it's painful to even watch. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty rough. And you know, I, I mean, the easy thing to do is say they're not. It's not clutch hitting, and they're not knocking guys in when they have them there. But you look at the numbers right now. I think the Brewers are third to worst in baseball in team batting average. They're just not good hitters. I, I think that's more the question, as as opposed to being 
a good offensive team that's not clutch or not not doesn't have timely hitting. I just think right now it's, it's a bad hitting team. And um, as good as the pitching has been, it's kept them in games. It's kept them right in the heart of this division race early on. Uh, I mean, a week and a half ago, they had the best record in baseball. But the problem is I think the pitching has maybe blinded us to how bad the hitting is right now. And I, I know I said it before, but you've got some guys that, you know, were fired up to see, you know, some younger guys that are that are like Tyrone Taylor and even McKinney early in the season. But but I don't think these guys are great hitters. I just think that's what it comes down to. And I would even say a guy like Travis Shaw. I mean, if you actually dig into the numbers right now and you look at the strikeout numbers, you look at the OPS, should he be a starting third baseman in the big leagues? You know, and, and you start stacking these guys on top of each other and you get three, four, four or five guys, I look in the lineup and say those guys should be bench players um, or or pinch hitters and not really regulars. You know, you get enough of those guys in your lineup, um, enough guys hitting 190 or 210 or OPSs, you know, a bunch of guys in the 600s, you're not going to score runs. So sometimes you have a team that's a decent hitting team and they're just not clutch and it's bad timing. But I, I just think the biggest problem is they don't have enough guys in this lineup. Yeah, I sadly, Travis Shaw, might be one of the better hitters with runners in scoring position for us. Cause I feel like he's had some big moments. That's not speaking yeah, so much uh, about Shaw as against everyone else um, to continue with the bad news theme though. Um, the Brewers actually dropped to second worst in the major leagues. Um, after today's game took place, they are now down to two Oh one as a batting yeah. average uh, with runners in scoring position. Somehow, the Tampa Bay Rays are worse. They're actually below the Mendoza line. Um, the Brewers do have, I will say they have some uh, bad luck uh, when it comes to runners in scoring position. They're hitting uh, 247 on balls in play. That's not great. That's something usually that will uh, re- uh, progress, I guess, in this case to the mean. Um, so that could mean that there's a little improvement coming down the road. Um, one thing I found particularly interesting was going into today's game. Um, the Brewers had a 14.7% walk rate with runners in scoring position, which is second best in the major leagues. So that is the one thing they're doing well with runners in scoring position is drawing walks. Unfortunately, unless the bases are loaded, that's not going to knock in any runs. So they'll get an extra base runner or two via the walk. And then that'll end up being about it. So they definitely had some have some work to do in that department council said as much after the game today that they are just not uh getting the job done when it comes to having runners on second or third it's it's frustrating it was frustrating last year for brewers fans to watch during games and it's frustrating again this year unfortunately so matt what what i'm hearing is the best thing that the brewers do with runners in scoring position is not swing the bat there it is (laughs) that's sad yeah Oh, that's not good. And um, and John, you mentioned earlier that uh, in Corbin Burns' six starts, uh, the Brewers have lost four of them. The Brewers have been shut out in three of them. In half of his starts, the Brewers have been completely shut out. Not a single run of support. And in, his, and in that other uh, loss, they scored one run of support. And in his two wins, the Brewers scored six and seven runs of support. So if you just give this guy something – they can win. Like <laughs> in all the starts, if if you gave him just two or three runs, you you would have won all of them. No question. Every, every yeah. Single, like it's just it's so frustrating. I, I I would also say in addition to that, and and you're I mean the Burns number is just it's insane. I mean to to think about the fact that they're two and four in his six starts, but even Freddie Peralta two nights ago, um, you look at the final score and say, well, you know. The Cardinals were seven scoreless, gave up one hit, left the game, and it, you know obviously they were in position to win that game. They were up one nothing, but they should have been up four nothing. You know they're they're facing a starting pitcher in St. Louis. That guy was pretty hittable. You know that wasn't Jack Flaherty two nights ago. That was a guy they should have scored more runs against. Uh, speaking to what, what you guys brought up about runners in scoring position uh, two nights ago, that was pr- pretty bad night for that. It's happening constantly between Burns. Uh, I believe Woodruff's got two starts like that where he was lights out and they lost already a couple nights ago as well. So it's tough, man. It's again, it's it's not the bullpen blowing these games. It's the fact that these guys are going six and seven innings and shutting teams down and they, they leave the game and it's a one nothing game 
or a one-one game. It's it's a, and then the other team is finding a way to scratch across a run or two late in the game. So it's a problem, and I don't think it's it's luck or arbitrary. I just you know I keep saying this, but I just think the lineup is that bad right now, and part of it is injuries. You know, when Yelich comes back, I think they'll get a little jolt. I think I guess I'm hopeful that Keston here will figure this out. It might take some real time. Um, you know, Colton Wong we know is pretty good, but I'll say it again. I, I think at some point they have to look at the possibility, um, even if it's trading Aaron Ashby or Garrett Mitchell, going out and getting a really good bat to give them a shot. Because I I hate to ruin the possibility of making a serious run this year. They have a pitching staff that I think matched up against anybody. I mean, throw any team at me, including the Dodgers. And I like my chances. If you said our lineup, you know, you know, we're just somewhere in the middle, and we have two or three boppers in the middle that give us a shot, I think they could beat anybody in a five or seven game series. Anybody, including the Dodgers. But they need they they need to they need Yelich back, and I think one more really good bat along with that. You throw in Colton Wong, you see if Narvaez can keep hitting, and you know you want Avi Garcia to be like your sixth best hitter, and right now he's probably their second best. So. They need to figure something out, I think, between now and, and the trade deadline. Yeah, for, for sure. And uh, we, we had that discussion on your show the other day. And, I mean, when, when you look at this lineup right now, who is the right-handed power hitter? With, with Hira out, because he's he's been struggling, who's your right-handed power hitter? Evie Garcia? That's uh, it. I, he, he's your only option. Like, he, Lorenzo Cain doesn't have power. Luis Urias doesn't really have power. So your right-handed power hitter is Abby Garcia, who doesn't really play every day. He wasn't really planning. They, they weren't really planning on having him play every single day. And even at his best, he's probably 20 homers a season kind of guy. He, he's not a, a 30 home run type power right-handed power bat. He's not. But he has to be that guy right now because they have no one else for that. They, they got Vogelbach yeah, and Shaws as their left-handed ones and, and Yelich when he's healthy. But still, like they – they don't have any any thump right now. Their two thumpers, Yelich and Hira, are either hurt or slumping. And even Yelich, when he was in there, he has zero home runs on the season. Like b- between Yelich and Hira combined, Adrian Hauser has more home runs. <laughs> like it's that's not something anyone expected this far into the season. So I think you answered your own question. Yeah. Adrian Hauser is a right-handed power bat. <laughs> That's true. They, they need to put him in the cleanup spot um, whenever we yeah. face Daniel Castano. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, but I mean, when, when you look at that, I mean, Abby Garcia hit a, hit a home run um, on Wednesday there, had a 442-foot fly, and, you know, that was a God, just a beautiful swing, beautiful sound. But, I mean, expecting him to do that consistently, he's, he's not going to. No, he, you know, he's not really a 30-home run guy. You know, we're talking about him as the right-handed power bat, and he is. You're right about that. And, and that was incredible the other night. It was a mistake he hit, but, you know, he's, he destroyed it. Um, <laughs> I, I, think, I think it was – I, I want to say it was a slider or a cutter that just didn't move. It, and it he just, just hung up there, yeah. Yeah, he just annihilated it. But still, I mean, that ball was hit about as hard as you can physically hit a baseball. Um, e- even the 443 number seemed a little low to me. I mean, I was kind of like – that's one of the first. You know, he, he's not a guy consistently that is going to be a 30 home run guy and be a major power threat. I, one of RV Garcia's strengths is he takes pitches, he'll draw some walks. You know, he's a, he's a nice 750 to 800 OPS guy who can play all three outfield positions. Ultimately, you want him to be your fourth outfielder, really, in a perfect scenario, uh, or, or start, you know, and, and be in the seven or eight hole. But it's it's not a good sign that we're having this conversation right now that he's he's their right handed power hitter. But he is. Yeah. And then they need. I mean, if you're going to have to point to somebody, he's. Yeah. And, yeah, and they're that's why they need to, to I, I think, make a move. Yeah. Yeah. For, for sure. I mean, when when it comes to the trade deadline in like two, two and a half months, um, when you look at the needs of this roster, the positionally, you know, it, it might change depending on who's hitting at the time and who's not as we get two months into the season. But I think it, it's pretty clear already that the need is going to be in the lineup. It, it's going to be a position player. You know, in the past, it's like, oh, maybe you need to get a starter. Maybe you need to get 
know, another bullpen piece or whatever, the starting rotation, they're not going to have any sort of need there. The need when it comes to the deadline is going to be a bat. Is that going to be a first baseman? You know, depending, that depends on what Kesson Hira does and Dan Vogelbach does. Is it going to be a shortstop like Trevor Story? That depends on what Luis Arias does. Is it going to be a third baseman? That depends on what Travis Shaw does. So we'll see where the need actually is when it comes to July. But the one thing that's clear right now is that the need is a bat. No matter what position it is, they're going to need to get something to add some power and add some on-base ability to this lineup. You know, I, I would even add to what you said, Dave, and, and you guys can both react to this, I guess, but I, I, I almost feel like you don't base it on what other guys are doing. You know, what Urias is doing or, or what Shaw's doing or Vogelbach or if Hira comes back. I think you just got to go get the best bat possible. The one thing they do have, I think, is a little bit of versatility. You know, if Travis Shaw just catches fire and, and there's a third baseman out there that, that's a that, – that's a real guy, then Shaw moves to first, you know, or, mm-hmm. you know, if, if here is hitting the ball really well, there's a big first baseman they can get. I think you just find a way to get the guy in the lineup somehow and, and move guys around. I mean, Urias can move to third. If, if say they went out and got Trevor story, uh, Shaw can play third or first, you know, you're not going to move here anywhere, but first, I don't think, I mean, he's not going to go play second uh, unless there's an injury at Colton Wong. But I, at this point, they're pretty desperate. I, I think they got to go out and find the best possible bat available and you know, you know what, guys? It's hard because you you have to find a bad team that has a really hitter. You know, that's why Trevor's story keeps coming up because we know the Rockies are in rebuild mode and they're about as bad as it gets. But you got other teams like, you know, somebody contacted my show and said, what about Chris Bryant? And you know, I don't know if the Cubs would ever do business with the Brewers, number one. I mean, that might be one of those where, like, you know, you just you don't do business with, with the enemy. But, but the Cubs are kind of in it. You know, I don't know if the pitching is going to be good enough to keep them in it. But if, if they're sort of hanging around 500 in a division that I don't think is great, they might not want to trade them. You know, the Red Sox we thought would be a bad team. They're obviously – you look around baseball right now, even, even the Washington Nationals, there are three or four really good hitters on that team you could try and poach. But the Nationals have a, have a great roster, so they're going to hang in there thinking they can get back in it. And even, even if they're out of it, they're going to save their guys and make a run next year. So it, I think you got to take whoever you can get. I, I don't know how many guys are going to be available at the trade deadline in, in terms of real, real improvements. Yeah, but if there's anything we know, uh, Mark Adonazio is willing to pay at the trade deadline when he thinks the team is competitive. And they have shown so far that uh, they're going to be competitive this year. Back in 2018, they were just pumping hitters into that lineup to the point where they even brought in Jonathan scope, which to all of us didn't make any sense. They just yeah. wanted yet another bat and he was available. So uh, they will go ahead and add the bats that we need. Um, it'll just be interesting by the trade deadline to see who has turned it around and figured it out by that point. Right. Because, you know, how many times do we say last year, you know, that it was unfortunate that it was a 60 game season because it never allowed certain players like, um, Holt, like smoke, like some of those guys to, you know, turn things around. Um, that's what this 162 game season is supposed to be for. So there's still time for that to happen. Um, and by the time we get to the trade deadline, we'll see what holes are left, I guess, still to patch up. Um, I know we've been on a lot of bad news right now, so I want to throw in just a tiny bit of good news, uh, for the moment, I know we talk about Kesson here, and he's a big key to this offense turning around. He is currently two for three tonight with the Nashville Sounds, both doubles for his two hits and has scored a run. So, so far, so good in his first game down in AAA. Yeah, that is that is very good news. And just, just probably for him, just making solid contact is just going to be huge. Just getting him in the right mindset and the right mentality. It's like, hey, I haven't completely forgotten how to hit. I know what I'm doing. And just, just kind of feeling that contact and, and getting things. Uh, going again, that, that's going to be huge for him. I'm not sure how long exactly he's going to be down in, tri- in AAA. Obviously, it depends on how well he performs. But, I mean, if he – say he continues hitting like that, you know, having two for three nights, you know, extra base hits, you know, is he going to be down there two weeks? Is he going to be down there a month? Is he going to be down there, you know, however long? Uh, we'll see. But, you know, the, the sooner the Brewers can get – the 2019 version of Keston Hira back into their lineup, the better. Because as I've said before, and I'll say again, 
like it or not, the Brewers need Kesson Hira. You know, right now, he wasn't really hitting that well, so having him in the lineup was was a net negative. But overall, the Brewers need him. They, they mm-hmm. straight up need to have him in that lineup. They need to have him hitting. Just, you know, as we were saying earlier, just so Avisail Garcia handed power bat in the lineup you know they, they need someone else Keston Hira can hit 30 homers a season he can hit 300 if you get someone who can hit 300 with 30 homers a season that is someone you really really need in your lineup I don't care what team you are that is someone you need that is someone you want and the Brewers have that in Hira he hasn't shown it yet this year but they need to find that version of him and fast and, and you know what he has shown at times? I mean, it's been limited, but we've seen him barrel up some balls and hit some scorching outs this year. And, and again, I'm I'm covering for him a little bit. I mean, the strikeout numbers are terrible, and there's a lot of negatives there. But my gut feeling is that there's something bubbling there, and, and he can come back. And even if he can be 80% of what he was two years ago, even if he can be a platoon with Vogelbach for a while, you know, just to have like a power right-handed bat against lefties, to get it started. I feel like there's something there for him. My big question is, and I don't know what you guys think about this. I don't know if any of us know this or even they know it, but is there a hole in that swing that baseball basically figured out? You know, sometimes guys come up to the big leagues, they tear the cover off the ball like he did. And then, you know, scouting departments figure out a hole in a swing and they attack it. Is there something there that he just is not going to be able to ever figure out? I don't know the answer to that. Or was he just not seeing the ball well? But they're going to need him to come back. And uh, my feeling is I saw enough hard hit balls, uh, real hard hit balls, those last couple weeks before, you know, things really went south, where I, I feel like, you know, it's good good to hear that he has to come back and, you know, maybe not be what he was two years ago, but be relatively close to that. And I think they would take that in a heartbeat. Yeah, and it certainly seems like pitchers seem to be attacking him up in the zone a, a yeah. whole lot more. And he mm-hmm. he can't hit it. Just straight up, he has struggled hitting the ball up in the zone. Um, he's even struggled on pitches middle, middle, you know, even down the middle, he struggled there. So like, I mean, that's not typically, I mean, that's not really the hole in his swing. I mean, upper part of the zone certainly seems like it is, but I think it's also been a lot with the, with the timing as well. Cause he's got kind of a complicated leg kick. He's got like a toe tap, then he brings the leg back and up and then sets it, you know, strides out and then back down. And, you know, it's, it's very long, his, his load. So for that, you know, if that timing's off just a little bit, because with all that time that, that his leg is moving and he's loading, that's a lot more room for things to go wrong. So, you know, if he falls out of that rhythm uh, with, with that leg kick, it can turn ugly. And that's what it, it seems like. So if he can, you know, take the time down there to really get that back in stride, I, I think he'll be set. But you know, based on the, unless he changes that uh, load and leg kick, which I don't think he'd do midseason, but unless he changes that, he's probably going to be a pretty streaky hitter for most of his career because uh, that's just kind of going to be the nature of his leg kick, where it's very dependent on that timing and there is very little margin for error. And if he loses it, if he loses that feeling, then it can take him a while to get it back. Yeah, it can be trouble. And part of me hopes that's the problem and he's able to figure it out. And you see Kesson here become Kesson here again. You know, the other issue is he doesn't give you much else. You know, he really doesn't have a defensive position, as we know. He's really built to be a DH, I think, as a big leaguer. He doesn't necessarily run well. But you hope you can get that timing back uh, because I'll tell you what, man, when that guy's on, uh, he scorches the ball. I mean, he, he can he can hit the ball um, unlike most guys, you know, when he's got it going. But um, big question, right? Last ball, like you talked about, that's a great point. Um, and hopefully it's, you know, pitches that are just outside the zone. And then he's going to get that timing down if he's going to get going again. Yeah. And, and we pointed out some of those, uh, especially that uh, hard hit observation here on the podcast before as well. Um, he does have some very good hard hit analytics. He's just not putting the bat on enough balls, yeah. you know, he's just striking out too dang much right now. So, Hopefully, if it is more of a in-his-head thing than the league has figured him out thing, I think maybe it's a combination of both. But if at least he can – if there is a mental aspect to it and he can get past that, then maybe we see that return. And you know what? Mashing on AAA pitching has helped uh, plenty of young batters before. So 
hopefully it does the same for him. Um, but we'll see. Uh, again, off to a good start. But uh, I, I think as he was struggling there, a lot of us, uh, not just as fans, but probably the front office a little bit, were just waiting for that AAA season to start because uh, it got to the point where we felt like that was what he needed. He needs to just go down there, you know, get some easy pitching to hit against, get that confidence back, um, and then see how that translates. Yeah, but and and what's also interesting though is that Keston Hero was optioned down a week ago, and he's mm-hmm. just playing his first AAA game tonight. And, and I think, you know, he there there were a couple of days where it's like he wasn't even down in Nashville, like like he wasn't with the sounds. And I think what the Brewers did um, was seems like from from what they've said, they gave him a couple of days off, just like away from baseball, not, not even like with the team, whatever else. I think they gave him a couple of days uh, to go home, visit his mom, visit his family. Um, Cause his mom's sick right now. And, you know, that's probably also something that's been weighing on his mind. So, okay, give him a few days. He can go back home, visit the family. Uh, and then he got back, he got to a couple of days ago and it was still that like they gave him two days or so of him, like being with the team versus, before they put him in the lineup, which they did here on Thursday night. And, you know, now two for three, couple of doubles. And like, they just gave him that little bit of a, a rest, a breather um, to, to get himself away from the game. And, you know, hopefully that's, that's just what the doctor ordered and just what he needed to, to have it pay some dividends. Yeah. Not, not a bad idea either uh, to just kind of get him away from it. And that's a really good point. That they yeah they didn't you know they, they didn't want him around anymore. I think it was getting in his head. I, I think a lot of this might be too. You know, baseball is such a different game. Uh, you, you can't out athlete guys. You know, there's such precision involved. It's such a head game, and the hardest thing to do in sports. I mean, it's it's an old saying, but hitting a baseball is harder than anything. And I think today it's harder than it's ever been. I mean, look at numbers all around baseball right now with the velocity and the way these guys are throwing. Um, I, you know, it's my opinion with the new baseball, there's more movement on some of these pitches as well. Not necessarily more velo, but more movement. So, yeah, I, I think I think the guy needed to get away from it for, for a while. And so we'll see. I, I, great point, though, about going out of AAA and just beating up AAA pitching. There have been a lot of guys that have gone through that process and, and just psychologically get yourself going again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and when it comes to – um, just like kind of like giving guys like a couple days too. like the Brewers did that with with Corbin Burns in 2019. Like they just took him off the field. It's like, OK, we're like we're going to take a little bit. We're going to send you down to Arizona to the pitching lab. Uh, Travis Shaw in 2019, they you know took him down, took him out for for a few days for a little bit. And yeah, like you said, that, that can work wonders for guys and, and mashing triple A pitching, you know, just to get that confidence back uh, can really work wonders for guys and. Um, that, that's really kind of been uh, – I, I think that's really just what the Brewers are hoping for to kind of repeat that same recipe. So uh, another guy that um, is out of the picture a second time is Jacob Nottingham with, with Omar Narvaez and everyone coming back today. Uh, Jacob Nottingham got DFA'd once again. Uh, the last time they did it, they pretty much immediately regretted it because shortly after Manny Pena got hurt and then Omar – then Omar Narvaez got hurt and then he got claimed on waivers. And then they kind of were like, Hey, Seattle, uh, can you send him back to us, please? Uh, and, and got him back. And then he hit like two home runs after coming back. And uh, he really hasn't done much since, but uh, yeah. And now he's go, he goes on waivers again. So Hopefully this time both of the Brewers catchers can remain healthy and they don't, they don't have to call Jerry DePoto or whoever and uh, try to try to call him back. But, you know, the Jacob Nottingham era, you know, that was something that they just never could quite get going, you know? Yeah, you know what's interesting about him? He was a good offensive prospect in the low minors, and then he actually became a better defender later on, but the hitting just wasn't there as a big leaguer. And I actually think Jacob Nottingham is a pretty good defensive catcher now. You know, last year when he got some opportunities, especially blocking the ball, he's probably a better defender than, than Narvaez is. Um, but, I, you know, he really, here's the thing about this entire conversation. If you guys remember in the offseason, how many catchers did they sign? I mean, it, it felt like at one point they had like six big league level or fringe big league level catchers. They just stocked up on guys 
And, you know, as we know, Nottingham is, is out of options right now. So that's the way it works. But, yeah, it is kind of weird, isn't it, that they had to, they tried to get him through. He got claimed, and then they had to pay some money to get him back because they <laughs> needed him all of a sudden. So um, my guess is this will be it. I mean, everybody's looking for catching or catching depth. So that's what we're going to form on thing. Yeah, I think about the only interesting thing about it was uh, um, they could have technically optioned someone else uh, if they had wanted to, but the Brewers don't ever catch, uh, hold more than three catchers if they don't have to. And they have their normal, you know, starting two catchers back. So it was time uh, to DFA him again, you know, and in his limited time back, um, he struck out in over half of his plate appearances. So, yeah. You know, yeah. in the yeah. ones he didn't strike out, he had uh three hits and it was a home run, uh, two home runs and a double. So when he did get hits, they were big hits. Um, but if he wasn't doing that, he was striking out. So, I mean, it's, we liked the guy. We, of course, you know, we, as fans, we wanted to see him uh, do a little better, but um, sadly it was time again uh, for him to move on. So we'll see if uh, he gets claimed again this time, or maybe he passes through waivers. Who knows? Um, it did just happen with uh, Godley who isn't even the first one this year. So um, we'll see. Maybe he'll stick around. Yeah. Or it wouldn't surprise me if Jerry DePoto claimed him again because yeah. <laughs> he's yeah. just that kind of guy. Oh, man. And <laughs> I mean, like, look at his Seattle's catcher situation. Like, they probably could have used, you know, someone like Nottingham to, you know, try and improve him and, and give him a, a chance to start. Um, so I was like surprised when the DFA'd him, but like, I'm pretty sure that was a. That was a call from David Stern's like, hey, can you like DFA him so we can like, you know, get get him back or something? Cause that was that was just weird that the DFA'd him two days after they claimed him, you know, and um very interesting. Uh, another guy that is off the 40 man roster, Jordan Zimmerman has retired. Um, made his kind of somewhat I don't know if it was surprising decision. It, it seemed kind of surprising that he did it just kind of in the you know middle of the other week there but um with Zimmerman like he was retired for two hours allegedly before the Brewers called him up at the end of April and then uh they brought him in he pitched a couple of games and then when the homestand was about to begin again um then he decided to to hang it up and I mean he at least got a couple games in as a Brewer you know hometown kid grew up in Auburndale grew up a Brewers fan uh, so at least got a couple games in the uniform but you know, Jordan Zimmerman's career uh, coming to an end. Yeah, it, you know, it was fun to get to see him, you know, in the uh, Brewers uniform for just a little bit there. Um, I know it probably didn't go exactly how he imagined it. Um, I, I know McAlvey had said that he had actually briefly retired once already this season, right before the Brewers called him up, actually. Yeah. Um, and so he gets, you know, unfortunately, his first action ends up being in that uh, – a nasty loss to the Dodgers where he has to come in after Bettinger gave up, um, I think 11 earned uh, yeah. Zimmerman gives up another five, I believe it was. And so, you know, pitching for your hometown team, that's not exactly how you want it to start, but you know, at least he got to pitch for his hometown team, but then he gets one more appearance after that, where he comes in, throws a couple scoreless innings, uh, looks a little bit better. Um, it was just, you know, hearing, him talk about how he, you know, wasn't quite sure if his body would hold, he said his mind was in it, um, but his body wasn't necessarily agreeing. And the fact also that the Brewers, if anything, were going to plan to use him as a reliever. Uh, he thought that he wasn't sure if his body would quite be able to adjust to that. Um, so he just felt like it was time. So it was really cool though, to actually be able to see him pitch as a brewer in his limited time, albeit for a, short amount of innings, but, you know, hats off to him. It's, it's nice, you know, like you had said originally uh, on the account on Twitter, you know, he gets to do it on his own terms and not a lot of players get to do that. Some of them are forced out by injury or forced out because, you know, no one wants to sign them. You know, he gets to just end it where he feels comfortable and, you know, that's a good thing. Yeah, for sure. And, and for, um, for Zimmerman, I mean, yeah, like he was retired for, for two hours there um, cause he had an opt out coming up and, um, he was like, okay, I guess that's just how it's going to end. And he would have spent the entire season at the alternate training site, you know, down in Appleton, no one really seeing him. And, you know, he obviously didn't want to go back to, back to the minors. He didn't want to play in triple a, uh, which I mean, I get that. And, mm -hmm. you know, it, it just 
like you said, it would have been really kind of a, a terrible way to to retire, just kind of, you know, in the darkness there of, of the alternate training site and, you know, not being able to put on the the big league uniform one one more time um, to, you know, to have your final appearance be something that you didn't think was going to be your final appearance. Um, so, yeah, great for, for Zimmerman going out the, the way he wanted it to. Um, and now if the Brewers win the World Series, he also gets a ring. So yeah, that's there, true. there is that. So yeah, certainly, um, certainly good for him. And we'll, we'll kind of end the bad news segment here on a high note, I, I guess. So yeah, the good news and the bad news this week, uh, we talked a lot about the good news. There's also been uh, some bad news, but um, things will, are things seem to be looking better. The, the team's getting healthier they got a whole bunch of guys on rehab assignments that are getting ready to come back, including Christian Yelich. So the sooner they can get him back, the better. Corbin Burns, uh, future Cy Young winner, as dominant as always. So uh, that's going to wrap things up for this week's episode of the Cold Brew Podcast. We'd like to thank John Papadopoulos, host of the Sports Lead on ESPN Lacrosse, for coming on and joining us this week. Um, so... For John Papadopoulos, for Matt Carroll, I'm Dave Gasper. We'll see you next week on another edition of the Cold Brew Podcast.